Are you a bit stressed or confused with your love life? Relationships, especially the romantic kind, require more than just hormones and feels to prosper. You know you need advice, support, and effective strategies so you can feel how you want to feel and create the love life you desire. I raise my hand to say, let me assist you with skills, strategies, coaching, and community. Here's what I want you to do. Visit coachjoyce.com and choose whichever love lady package fits you the best to become an official sister of the Match Mary Mate community. You'll have digital resources, video trainings, coaching content, course materials, and even the opportunity to live stream with me with certain packages. If you book between October 31st through December 1st, you can enjoy 60 bucks off every month of group coaching for our Cozy Girl Fall Special. See you there. Hey, love bugs. Welcome to another episode of the Match Mary Mate Show, where I discuss topics and issues to support Black women with self-love, femininity, and womanhood, and their own personal love lives. I'm your host, your girl, Joyce Robinson Myers, and you're listening to the third show in our marriage prep mini-series. This episode is titled Biblical Marriages. Let me warn you now, this episode is not what you think it is. I'll be the first to admit that the Bible is not always for the faint of heart, and discussing the marriages that are laid out in it may not be easy for Black women. However, I lighten the mood with clapbacks, humor, and my dazzling personality. Even though some of the topics are not easy, I was intentional about making the show enjoyable, so I do hope you like it. If not, I can take it. Just talk to me nice. After this episode, we have one more remaining in this mini-series. I am really enjoying your feedback. You all, it has blessed my heart. Your feedback, your questions, and your comments so much so that I think I may end up recording a single episode just to address them all. I've been keeping a log of all of them and going, oh wow, I gotta figure out a way to organize the questions and comments and respond and answer to them accordingly in a new show for you. Of course, at the end of this show, I'll give you more details about the next and final episode in the series. For now, this episode is for both Black men and women, and also couples, though I am speaking directly to Black women, and it will not have an affirmation or journal segment. Trigger warning here. I mentioned the R word, and we're talking about relationships and marriages, so work with me here. I mentioned the R word twice. I only mention it as a possibility, and there are no details about it. My goal here is to educate you, not traumatize you. So proceed with caution. But if you trust me to deliver sensitive topics well, let's go. Welcome, welcome. You ready to talk about biblical marriage? Go ahead and download the Biblical Marriages episode guide before you start the show. You're going to want to be able to keep up with me for this one. In today's show, I'm teaching the eight different types of marriages. 
Now, I'm paraphrasing and storytelling in my own voice, using my own language, but I'm also going to read straight from the book so there is no confusion. Well, at least for most of them anyways. Now, some of these marriages are archaic in our modern world, so I'm not suggesting that we should do marriage in those ways today, but I am saying it's in the book, so it makes the list. We do not need to be shy about what is written and how it was practiced in the days of yore. In fact, there's still something to glean from it when you're not afraid of it, avoidant, or oppressive. As a modern woman, most of these marriage forms are not going to be the ones you raise your hand for. But there are some lessons, both taught and caught, for you to glean if you care to listen. I know there are people who believe that the Bible is anti-Black and or anti-woman. I'll be the first to tell you there are parts of it that I'm like, yeah, okay, God. Or maybe even, now God, was that you or the menfolk? And even at other times, all right, all right now, Lord, was that you, the menfolk, or the white folk? So I get it. We all have to reconcile our different identities with our beliefs. So this is not me advocating for the Bible or pushing it on you, but to tell you that it is in there. As I mentioned in previous episodes, I have lots of clients who have all sorts of connections to the Bible in different ways. It would be irresponsible for me to not address it. But I also have other clients who come to me and we never touch the Bible because I know how to do that too. We get into other books and things and that's for another show. But today, the main character is the Bible. While we're here, I want to add that in most cases, it's not the Bible that's anti-Black or anti-woman. It's either poor translations, bad church doctrine, or Western Christianity principles. Yes, that sometimes reek of slavery and Black oppression, not to mention misogyny. Mm. I already addressed all those things, or most of those things, in the Churchy Wedding Vows episode. Still... I'm just talking about the Bible straight up and down today and not what's been added, taken away, or purported about it. I may step on some toes. Man, I might do that. But I promise you that it is with non-harmful jest. Again, I designed this entire show in a lighthearted way because I know it can be touchy. In our first segment, I will introduce the first four And then in the second, I'm going to cover the last four types of biblical marriages, that is. I am here to help heal how Black women and men relate to each other, especially in dating, relationships, and marriage and family. I'm earning my PhD in the work to be in the best position to support my community. Also, studies show that with proper relationship education, we can produce smarter, safer, and happier romantic decisions that improves the quality of our relationships and lives as we match, marry, and mate. It is my hope that today's conversation expands your mind, deepens your Bible knowledge, and gives you more to chew on in the marriage department, especially how you want to operate in it. Because why, y'all? Black love matters, and we're in much need of some Black family restoration. 
How do you define marriage? Are you an American traditionalist with one man and one woman? Are you a culturalist respecting how various cultures across the globe or even in your known part of the world view marriages? Now for this one, I'm gonna have to exclude child brides for the show. Or are you a modernist, which can also include tradition and culture, but certainly expands to types of marriages like ethical non-monogamy, open or common law? Or are you biblical, accepting a myriad of marriage forms from monogamy to polygyny to arranged and the whole gamut? Or are you something else? Now, just because you view different marriage types as acceptable or respectable does not mean it has to be the kind you want for yourself. For example, I accept common law marriage as a thing, but it's not the kind of marriage that I'm in and wouldn't want to be in either. I just wanted to expand your mind about it. Okay, now that we've done that, let's zoom in on YOU. How do you define marriage for yourself? That is the type of marriage that you want to be in and how do you want to operate in it? Now, listen, we cannot talk about how to operate in marriage without a discussion on marriage formation, and that includes gender roles. We already talked about basic marriage structures and marital submission, and today we're talking about types or forms. So we'll save gender roles for later. Remember, there are eight. So I'm gonna go through them first, second, third, fourth, like that so you can follow me. First, the standard nuclear family, which is also the traditional type or even the Christian type, coming at you straight out of Genesis 2, 24. This is why a man is to leave his father and mother and stick with his wife, and they are to be one flesh. Now, there's a description of how a man leaves his family of origin, even though when this is written, supposedly the man has no family of origin, joins with a woman, consummates the marriage, and lives as a couple. Now, wait a minute. There are a number of differences between the customs and laws of contemporary North Americans and of ancient Israelites. Modern Americans, and definitely church folk, have this weird thing where they like to extract from the Bible what they see and project it onto them as if that's what it meant from the beginning. But if we're keeping it straight to the book, the book is talking about what would become what we know as ancient Israel. Nobody was talking to Americans. Nobody was even thinking about us in Genesis. Okay, maybe God, but that's not who wrote Genesis. But I get it. We like to make things about us. And we have a fascination with the Bible in this regard. So here is the list of differences between modern Americans and ancient Israel in light of Genesis 2.24. Get ready. There are four major differences. If you download the episode guide, you won't have to write or remember them. They're already there for you. Let's get it. In ancient Israel, number one, in theory, interfaith marriages were forbidden. However, they were sometimes formed. Now see there, not even folk in the Bible did what it said all the time. 
I like to see this as a pocket of freedom for your expression. Want to have an interfaith marriage, but keep it biblical? Maybe you should study why they were formed sometimes. There may be something in there for you. Number two, as an extension for number one, children of interfaith marriages were considered illegitimate. Dang, God. Number three, marriages were generally arranged by family or friends. That's not to say that they were loveless, but that they were about that business. Isn't that what the kids say today? Stand on business? Mm-hmm, that was this. And they were about family lineage to the utmost. These were not marriages that were formed from dating or gradually evolving into loving relationships that developed over time. Number four, I know we're in Genesis, but move along with me to Deuteronomy for a quick minute. We're taking this detour because in the nuclear marriage formation, and I know y'all have heard this in church, they teach about virginity and the importance of marrying as one or as a virgin. Here's the gag. They really double down on this idea for girls and young women. I know y'all are agreeing and nodding your heads with me, ladies. Now, I'm not saying that they do not mention it to the fellas, but I am saying that it's not drilled into their heads. I have something to say about that shortly, but for now, Deuteronomy 22, 13, 14, and 15. If a man marries a woman, has sexual relations with her, and then, having come to dislike her, brings false charges against her and defames her character by saying, I married this woman, but when I had intercourse with her, I did not find evidence that she was a virgin. Then the girl's father and mother are to take the evidence of the girl's virginity to the elders of the town at the gate. Dang, I gotta marry as a virgin and prove it? Apparently with the blood stain? Now, I don't know how they were getting all the way down in ancient Israel, but today we know that there is scant medical support for this idea. But as much as we like to make it seem that the Bible only beats up on women, let's read. Deuteronomy 22, 16, 17, 18, and 19. The girl's father will say to the leaders or to the elders, I let my daughter marry this man, but he hates her. Dang, we went from dislike to hate quick. Okay, so he has brought false charges that he didn't find evidence of her virginity. Yet here is the evidence of my daughter's virginity. And they will lay the cloth before the town leaders. Is that like a sheet? Was it a special cloth that only virgins slept on the first time they had sex so that it would? I don't know, y'all. The elders of that town are to take the man, punish him, and fine him two and a half pounds of silver shekels which they will give to the girl's father because he has publicly defamed a version of Yisrael. 
She will remain his wife and he is forbidden from divorcing her as long as he lives. See, all right. All right. Now I may got to prove some virginity and give you a sheet and all that stuff. But if that sucker is lying, Lord, find him. And now you got to stay with this woman for your whole life. What if something happens against him that is grounds for a divorce? Oh, well, it doesn't matter. He's beyond committed and obligated since, you know, he liked to lie. Now, wait a minute. If you're a person who likes to make men and women the same, you're not going to like what's coming next. And I don't know what to tell you because I am not trying to take on the role of a man and I don't want a man trying to take on mine. Anywho, let's see what happens. Deuteronomy 22, 20, and 21. But if the charge is substantiated that evidence for the girl's virginity could not be found, then they are to lead the girl to the door of her father's house and the men of her town will stone her to death because she has committed in Yisrael this disgraceful act of being a prostitute while still in her father's house. In this way, you will put an end to such wickedness among you. All right, and you got to understand a little culture here. Sleeping with men in this way would automatically be seen as you are prostituting or defaming the women and the land of Israel. But wait a minute, wait one damn minute. He gets fined, but I got to die? Girl, you better not be lying. Now, I have some things to say. Though the degree of punishment is different, the book mentions both a man and woman getting that smoke. If you do not like the degree, I get it, girl. I told you, you got to reconcile some of this stuff for yourself. That is not in my job description. Please see pastor. Premarital sex. Y'all do not know how much I disdain this term, but I can't say on the word virgin even more. I don't have time to give you proper study in these terms and why the way we use them today is not exactly what we read in the Bible. So for today, I'm working with the definitions and understanding I know you already have. If men are sleeping with women and women are sleeping with men and there's a law for women to be virgins, who the hell are men sleeping with? I do not take issue with the law being given to women I understand the power of the puss, as the elderly ladies used to say to me. It makes sense that the law would be given, that this law in particular, rather, would be given to women because they are in control of consensual sex. But if women are on their jobs here, then all unmarried men of ancient Israel should have dry balls. Unless they are sleeping with foreign women different lands, different faiths, see why marrying in that way would be forbidden, or they're prostituting their own women. But why would they do that? I'm not saying that they didn't, just that it does not make real sense to make your own women unmarriageable, and if proven, gone to the grave. And why would an Israelite woman put herself under great risk? If she had any sense, she wouldn't, 
because I can promise you no D is so good <laughs> to suffer public humiliation and death. My last point on this is imagine or recall if you have the lived experience that you're sitting in church and you feel the pressure to not sleep with a boy or a man because you're preached up on virginity and purity. Did the pastor also tell the boys and the men that they are not to profane the women of that church? Or if the church is all one race, of that race? In other words, does the pastor make an attempt to maintain the purity of the congregation or of the people because they're not always the same thing in our modern world by telling men that maybe they can go elsewhere with that foolishness, but not here or not with them referring to the women of the same people group or of the same church? Or do they place all the burden on women as if they can control where penises roam? Because being in control of consensual sex happening to your body and being responsible for the sexual urges and activities of men are two different things. In my experience, and also the many, many women I know, men have no problems defiling the women they sleep with, even when they are of the same tribe or community. And maybe, just maybe, that's why we are to just say no until they are ready to commit, at least if you're a virgin. Now, all my non-virgins in the room, please stand up. No, I'm, I'm teasing. Don't stand up. But for non-virgins, you would have a different story. Well, kind of, but that's for another day. I know Minister Louis Farrakhan isn't part of a Bible-based religion or faith, but I got to use him here because I don't have too much access or I don't hear too many Christian leaders who have also fathered daughters speak with the spirit of righteously, heavy on the righteously, protecting and covering their daughters from the ways of men who would only have intentions to defile or prostitute them, at least not in a public facing way. I might know some personally, but I don't see that many Christian male leaders who have daughters really taking a stance um, against prostitution, defiling, whoredom. I just don't see it that much. Now, if y'all have somebody, share them with me because I would love to shout those men out. But Mr. Farrakhan has no issue telling the whole world, the whole wide world, how men got to come through him to get to his daughter. And if they don't do right, he has no problem taking him out. Now, if you got the I need to be a virgin message as a girl or a woman, but you did not also equally to the same degree even, feel protected by that pastor or even your own father, that he would also be speaking against the men who would have intentions to defile you as a woman. You did not get the whole message, sis. So let's take a listen to the minister, shall we? We do not allow no man to get around our woman. You can see her, you can respect her, but we will not allow no plaything. And if you come in our house to play with our daughters, we kill you for that. In our way, oh no man come get my daughter on no street corner talking to her. You gotta come talk to me. 
I'm the door to my daughter. You got to pass by me. I read her. I taught her. I treated her like a righteous girl. I didn't play with my daughter. You understand me? I taught her how to be a girl, and, and her mother taught her how to be a woman. She has value, so don't you mess in my house. I'll kill you. I'm going to tell it to you the way it was told to me. Now, this is using some old biblical language. I'm not even sure if these words exist in many modern translations today, but here it goes. Lots of men will talk about women in terms of being a hoe or a whore. Mm, and that word, it can mean so many things. And it's not even always used properly, but whatever. Let's just go with easy to sleep with, meaning the woman has no real or high standard, or a woman who will sleep with just about anybody, either in general or in their own like community or circle, or a woman who is just always looking to have sex. Okay, so many men will talk about women in that way, as if it does not take a man for her to become what they talk about. Mm, I need a man's. I need a man's right here. Now, I understand that hoeing or whoredom is mostly about a woman having that spirit or having the intentions. But still, unless the act of sleeping with men in the ways that I described earlier is happening, no one can actually brand her as such a thing. Now, this does not remove the responsibility of a woman for her own virtue, but men make hoes and women bear the evidence of what a man has done. So she's not innocent, but she's not wholly guilty all on her own. So you have whoremongers and whores. I'll let you guess who's who. But if you've never heard men described as a whoremonger who has the ability to transition a woman from one state, let's say a virgin, to another, let's say a whore, but have only heard messages directed to women to not become a hoe or a whore or made fun of because she is one, I'm afraid you got some bad doctrine, baby. It's not different from being pregnant. A pregnant woman is not blameless in the act of intercourse, but it is a man who got her pregnant. And even when he is removed from her, the evidence of what he has done is upon her. But if you only tell women to not get pregnant, but never tell men to not do the impregnating, okay, y'all can pick it up from there. If you're a woman looking for more in-depth understanding on dating and relationships, marriage, and even wifehood preparation, I invite you to book a one-on-one -on -one call with me at matchmarymate.com. And today is the last day to get 40% off, so don't miss out. Second, polygamous marriage. And yes, I personally know folk in biblical poly marriages. Let's pause for a quick vocabulary lesson, though. We're going to define three words. Again, get that episode guide. Polygamy, the practice of having more than one wife or husband at a time. It references plurality, regardless of gender. It's an umbrella term. Then we have polygyny, the practice of a man having more than one wife. And the opposite of that is polyandry the practice of a woman having more than one husband. For the record, 
when people reference polygamy in terms of the Bible, they mean polygyny because that's the only type in there. Now, I know some folk, or maybe I know of some folk is a better way to say it, who try to pass polyandry as a biblical act, but it's just not there. Polygyny. It extends from the nuclear model where a man would leave his family of origin and join with his first wife. At the time, his only one, right? Then as finances allowed, he would marry additional women. Now, not all men married more than one woman. Marriage was a status symbol then, and it is today too. But in ancient Israel, you were a big man if you had the amount of wealth required to have multiple wives. You really see this with the men of like the priestly and royal courts, sometimes the judges as well before that was set up, and some who were just rich landowners like Boaz. But this was not your regular schmegular man. You know what irks my nerve here? When I hear men say, it's their God-given right to have more than one wife. Like where, sir? Where did you get that from? Or the men who act like monogamy is not a biblical option. Sir, have a seat. We're still in Genesis, y'all. So let's read from Genesis 4.19 to learn about the first biblical polygynist. Lamech, and you gotta, you gotta do it like with the Hebrew tongue and you gotta get that slight guttural in the throat on the end. So Lamech <laughs> took himself two wives and then it lists them by name. From there, subsequent men also had polygamous marriages. Here is a sample list. Esau, three wives. Jacob, two wives. Don't count his concubines because those are different. Gideon, a lot, like a lot. Elhanah, two. David, who knows, seven, eight, or nine. Yeah, but not all of them are listed in the Old Testament. Solomon, a whopping 700 wives of royal birth. And on and on and on and on and on. Before any Christians swing my way, beating up the Old Testament, people in the New Testament had more than one wife too. Why do you think Paul had to make distinctions? It's just that those marriages do not make the book. Do you want to guess why? <laughs> You'd have to read up on early AD history to know it. I want to encourage your own study, but for now, I'll drop a bomb on King Herod and his nine wives. Not him having more wives than King David, child. Third, a man, a woman, and her female bond servant emphasis on her. This kind of marriage doesn't have a name because it is understood that the husband and wife are one, like in the nuclear setting. And in ancient Israel, women had servants. Some people will refer to them as property, but that's not the dynamic for real, for real. I mean, it could be, but mm, that's not the best term. So for the sake of this show, I'm going to use the best modern term I know to best describe this arrangement. So I'm calling this kind of marriage ethical non-monogamy. 
though in ancient Israel, it might be better phrased as lawful non-monogamy. I use this term because if the wife wanted to offer her servant to her husband, she could. And in sleeping with him, that would no longer be monogamous, now would it? Also, I refer to it as ethical or lawful because it was allowed, meaning no one was violating the law and it included the wife say so. Let's take a quick Bible history lesson, okay? In the Bible, a bond servant refers to a person who willingly and voluntarily chooses to serve another person in the context of ancient Israelite society, where individuals could choose to become bond servants under certain conditions. Now in the Old Testament, particularly the book of Exodus, laws were provided for the treatment of bond servants. You know, you couldn't just treat these people any old kind of way. A Hebrew who found themselves in financial hardship could choose to become a bond servant to a fellow Israelite. The service was limited to six years, and after which that bond servant was to be released. And the wife, in this case, was expected to provide them with resources to help start anew. Additionally, if a bond servant desired to remain with her master, er, that word, I know, but it is the biblical word. After that six-year term, they could choose to do so, and their ear would be pierced as a sign of their voluntary ongoing commitment. And you can read more about that in Exodus 21, 2 through 6. Okay, I don't remember all of the American denominations, but Holiness and I think Seventh-day Adventist and whoever else is in the band, do not come for me with the ear piercings, okay? That was Exodus, not me. I already reviewed Genesis 16 and 17 with you in the churchy wedding vows episode, so we do not need to cover it again. But to keep it quick, Abraham and Sarah plus Hagar had this kind of marriage. Now, the elephant in the room is, did Hagar know she'd be having to sleep with Abraham? And if she didn't, do we classify their relations as the R word? I don't know. Questions that need answers. What I do know is that Hagar was in a lower class status than Sarah. So I'll let y'all take it from there. Fourth, a man, one or more of his wives, and some concubines. Why not, y'all? Just throw them in there. A man could keep numerous concubines in addition to his wife or wives, but they had lower class status than the position of the wife. In the Bible, a concubine refers to a woman who has a recognized social and sexual relationship with the man to whom she is not married. If you can catch it, remember where I ended with the first type of marriage? Yeah, that. In ancient societies, including those described in the Bible, marriage was the primary foundation for a recognized and formalized relationship between a man and a woman. However, these men were having them concubines, honey. A concubine did not have the same legal standing or rights as a wife, but she held a recognized and often respected position in the household. So concubines were in a higher class than bond servants, but not as high as wives. 
Sometimes they are called maid servants, not to be confused with bond servants. And this is why concubines are not quite wives, because they could be dismissed when no longer wanted. Yikes, Hagar. Here's a sample list. Abraham, after Sarah died, Keturah became his concubine. Jacob had two concubines. Gideon, enough. Saul, enough. David, enough. Belshazzar, enough. Yeah, they had a lot of concubines. And closing out the list with King Solomon, ladies and gentlemen, with 300 concubines. Sidebar, you're not going to find the Bible encouraging or condemning this practice. It seems that these events were recorded in the Bible, but that they were cultural and social influences. All right. To be fair, it's no different than the things that we do today. Yeah, we are influenced by society and culture too that have nothing to do with the Bible, promoting or shunning whatever it is. So for that reason, there is no one verse to describe this marital form, but the story lives or the first story lives in Genesis 16 and 17. Okay, love bucks, let's take a small break, shall we? Since you have time, go download that episode guide before we return and I'll be right back. Hey, love bugs, and happy fall. I've got a sale to share with you, honey. We're in our cozy girl fall season right now. And if you don't know what that means, you're either not on the Match Mary Mate email list or not in the Match Mary Mate Facebook group. I'd encourage you to join both, and you can do that at matchmarymate.com backslash begin. Between October 31st through December 1st, you can enjoy 40% off a private one-on-one call with yours truly, or you can join one of our group coaching cohorts for 60 bucks off monthly. Get it all at matchmarymate.com backslash begin, but you have to get it in by December 1st, 2023. Where are my private girlies at? I know sometimes you have sensitive details you need to share as it relates to your love life or just who you are as a woman. I get it and want to make space for you. We all need a little TLC and one-on-one from time to time. And if you book between October 31st through December 1st, you can enjoy 40% off your call for our Cozy Girl Fall Special. It's super easy to book a private call with me. Just visit matchmarymate.com, click work with me and book your individual call so we can connect real soon. Welcome back. Let's pick right up with the fifth type of biblical marriage, the leveret marriage. Now, this kind of marriage existed so that widowed women could have a son. The first time this happens in the Bible is in Genesis 38, 6 through 10. Here it goes. 
Yehuda, that's Judah, took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Yehuda's firstborn, was evil from the Most High's perspective. So the Most High killed him. Yehuda said to Onan, go and sleep with your brother's wife. Perform the duty of a husband's brother to her and preserve your brother's line of descent. However, Onan knew that the child would not count as his. So whenever he had an intercourse with his brother's wife, he spilled the semen on the ground so as not to give his brother offspring. What he did was evil from the Most High's perspective, so he killed him too. Remember the societal and marital structure of pastoral patriarchy from the marital submission episode? Wifehood and motherhood were supreme positions for women. So what happens when your husband dies and you have no sons? You walk right on over to your brother-in-law's house, meaning your dead husband's brother, because he's about to marry you, girl, so y'all can knock some boots and give that dead man and her a son. But, you know, also give a mother a son because that's important. Now, if there were feelings of attraction and love between the woman and her now new husband, this arrangement was probably nice, maybe even romantic. But otherwise, I'm sure it was rather a deuceful act. Tamar's husband is dead. So she goes to his brother, Onan, and he was not about that life. So he spilled his seed, child. Not Onan being the first man that we know of in the Bible with a good pullout game. Good old coitus interruptus. God was not happy. And he killed that man. Oh, so death does happen to men in the sex department, too. Got it. In case you missed it, God does not like when men spill the seed. And that can go in a bunch of different directions, ladies and gentlemen. So I'm going to leave it right there. Six, a male and female bond servant. Okay, so the master of the house could give his male bond servant a wife, another female bond servant. And that's how they got married. Not too much going on there. Uh, it is found in Exodus 21 and 4. But if his master gave him a wife and she bore him sons or daughters, then the wife and her children will belong to her master and he will leave by himself. There is no indication that women were consulted during this type of transaction. So I can't say one way or the other. I'll let you be the judge. Once the male bond servant service is up, he can walk out alone. And I'd be like, uh, no, take these churring with you. He had the option to stay though. And so perhaps if he loved her or wanted to be close to his children or just was a stand-up guy, he stayed. On the flip side, imagine if he didn't like him. In that case, I guess I'd be happy to see his old big head go. Seventh a male soldier, and a female prisoner of war. I am not going to read the entire story for you here, but you can. It's in Numbers 31, 1 through 18. Basically, the Israelites and the Midianites get into it, and the Israelites take out every adult male. This is actually a strategic war tactic. I'm not saying that anyone should do it, just that it's strategic. Study up on that if you're interested. 
Anywho, that left 32,000 Midianite women and many Israelite soldiers made them their brides. After the cleansing ritual in the 30-day mourning period, of course. And that's how you become a bride of war. I actually went to school with some children who were born to these types of marriages. Well, at least the modernized version. And I know some men who spent some time in the service overseas and came back with foreign brides. Hey, it happens. I cannot say it was a love story for all 32,000 women, but I am sure some love bonds were formed. And last but not least, eighth, a man and a virgin caught in the act. Scandalous. This one is tricky, but there is doctrine that teaches this one as the R word. I do not want to make an argument one way or another here, but if we were to assume that this was not the R word for the sake of me carrying on with the show, shall we? We would have a man who was caught in the act with a virgin woman as a damsel in distress, no less. Deuteronomy 22, 28, and 29. If a man find a damsel, that is a virgin, which is not betrothed, meaning she's not under contract for marriage, and lay hold on her and lie with her and they be found, then the man that lay with her shall give unto the damsel's father 50 shekels of silver, and she shall be his wife, because he hath humbled her. He may not put her away all his days. He would have to pay for her hand. This is payment to the bride's household to compensate for the reduction of income that happens when a woman leaves the house. For all of those people, and especially those men, who believe that the domesticated work that women or mothers do in their home isn't really work, why would her absence equal payment if it was not valuable? Last, because he got caught in the act. Come on, caught up. Insert Usher. He is not allowed to divorce her. And this is a story all about how. I hope that Nookie was that good to you, sir. Do not forget to download your Biblical Marriages episode guide. If you're already on the Match Mary Mate subs list, it's in your inbox. To join, click the link in the show notes. I have to rethink the direction of our next episode, so I'm not going to title it right now, but it's coming on December 15th to conclude this mini-series. If you want to share some topics you'd like to hear on the show as a preparation ground for getting engaged or becoming a wife, please use the comments feature on this episode or shoot me an email at podcast at matchmarymate.com as we plan to do this again in a few months. For now, I leave you with this word of advice. The magic isn't in getting married, it's in staying married. Thank you for joining me today and tuning into another episode of the Match Mary Mate Show. Until our next time together, love, light, and relationship. Remember, we grow as we go. And I'll be with you in the next episode. Cheers.
Are you looking to get your love life together? You're tired of not having the tools or community you need to navigate these dating and relationship streets. Well, honey, let's take some accountability, do our work and be in the place to reap all the benefits. I invite you to become a Love Lady member and officially join the Match Mary Mate community. You can choose your specific dating and relationship package to work with me. You'll have access to digital resources, video trainings, coaching content, course materials, and even the opportunity to live stream with me with certain packages. If this sounds like something you want, be sure to join today because I'd love to have you. Visit coachjoyce.com to get started. I want to see your face in the place.